Let's hear it for our Encounter Band. You guys are awesome. So this morning, I wanted to share with you something I learned when I was in middle school. When I was in middle school, I learned the ever-important lesson that maturity and grown-up was marked by the level of cynicism and sarcasm you developed. So here's the, back, here's the story. When I was a kid, when I was a child, I was just as, I was one of those idealistic unicorns and rainbow kids, right? So everything in the world was beautiful and wonderful, and um, I think most children are like that, many children are like that. Um, I, for, I forget, until I had kids, people had told me, oh, children are so innocent, I didn't understand what that meant. And then I realized my three-year-old, every night before we go to sleep, says, I love my family. And I was like, you're such a better person than I am, Annabelle. <laughs> um, I was like that as a child. And then I hit middle school. And I, I distinctly remember this moment. I was in middle school, and the band director was telling us, we're going to enter a competition. We're going to enter a band competition. And if all of you practice really, really hard, and all of you do your work, we might win the band competition. And if you win, we're going to get a pizza party. And so me, my young idealistic self, I was getting excited about what was going to happen. And I distinctly remember an eighth grader saying, yeah, right, that's never going to happen. And what got in my head was, you are more grown up than I am. You are more grown up than I am. And what happened is, as I went through high school, and then a big dose of it when I got to college, in different forms and in different ways, what got into my subconscious, what got into my, the lesson I learned from looking at the way people treat each other in society, at the way society moves, is that the more grown up you are, the more mature you are, the more respected you are, the more cynical you are. That if you actually believe good things, you are written off as someone who is childlike and immature. Whereas if people hearing you pontificate about all the bad things that you think are going to happen, you sound smart. You sound wise. You sound mature. You sound realistic. And the reason that got into my head today is because today's theme is going to point us in another direction. So we are in a sermon series called 40 Days of Prayer. We started the series with uh, two weeks of just teaching on prayer, the, both the kind of silent prayer and the prayer with words, the contemplative prayer and the active prayer. All of those sermons are on the website. Um, in fact, we even, even kicked off a podcast, which I'm super excited about. We're on Spotify. If you Google Westminster, you, or not Google, if you go to Spotify and search Westminster UNC, you will find us there. Um, all the sermons are on there, as well as our prayer podcast that we're putting out every week. So once we got past the two teaching weeks, then last week we started really our praying through the Bible story of Christmas and asking what these characters teach us about prayer. And so last week we talked about praying with Joseph. This week, we're talking about praying through a different part of the story, and this is the, the interaction that happens between Mary and Elizabeth. And so just as a recap, here's, here's what happened. Mary has discovered she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, which sounded just as suspicious back then as it does now, but she discovered that she was pregnant. This angel came, and he said, you will bear a son. You will name him Jesus. And so she leaves her town 
We don't ex actually know exactly where the timeline is because they're two different gospels that tell us this interaction with Joseph and the interaction with Elizabeth. But she leaves her town and she goes to visit her um, relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the wife of um, the mother of John the Baptist, the wife of Zechariah. Elizabeth, in her old age, has been told that she will also bear a son. And this son is going to be very, very special. And so Elizabeth is pregnant. Mary is pregnant. Elizabeth is in a slightly more socially tolerable position because she's married and pregnant. But she's pregnant in her old age, which at that was weird in that time. And so Mary, she, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Mary walks in the door, greets Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth speaks a blessing over Mary. And these are the words that we actually hear in the gospel. So this is from the gospel according to Luke. So beginning with uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 39, is when Mary set out to go and visit Elizabeth. When she walks in, Elizabeth says this, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. What we're going to talk about this week is what it means to bless. What a prayer of blessing looks like. Because what Elizabeth is doing is Elizabeth is drawing from a very ancient Jewish tradition of blessing that goes back into all into Israel's history. So at the very beginning, uh, God blessed Adam and Eve. And from then on, there were blessings woven throughout the faith practice of the people of God, especially in Israel. The blessings sounded a little bit different than the way we do them today. There was a blessing that was said before you ate something. There was a blessing that was said before you fulfilled a commandment. There was a blessing that was said when you went out and you saw something, like you saw a storm or you saw, um, you saw a, a great, like a rainbow or something like that. But the idea was blessing was supposed to fill your entire day. And blessing was a little bit different than Thanksgiving. So if we go outside and we see a beautiful sunrise and we say, thank you, Lord, it's a moment of thanksgiving. The blessing version of that, so the, the Jewish version of that, would be going outside, seeing a beautiful sunrise, and saying, blessed are you, God, who has created the universe and created the world and made the sun rise this morning. Do you hear the linguistic difference in this? So if they, before they ate, they would say, blessed are you, God, who has provided food from the earth. Blessed are you, God, who has provided the fruit of the vine. The blessing is always, not always, often directed toward God because the purpose of blessing is to remind the person speaking it where all these things came from, right? So thankfulness, gratitude, is, is, is kind of focused within ourselves. I am grateful for this. Blessing is something that directs our attention toward the, per the source of all blessing, toward the person who actually gave the blessings to start with. And so this Hebrew um, concept of blessing was intended to recognize God as the giver of all good gifts and by so doing actually increase God's presence in, this, in the world. So the idea was that 
if I just eat an apple without remembering God, I've eaten an apple and I will get the pleasure from it. But if I bless God before I eat the apple, then in some ways this becomes kind of a sacred experience for me. And in some ways God's presence is invited more fully in this moment. In some, in some way God's presence actually increases on earth because I have blessed him before I ate the apple. And so this tradition of blessing for observant Jews, you were supposed to bless the entire day long, right? There was a blessing for everything. There was a blessing for waking up. There was a blessing for eating. There was a blessing for going to work. There was a blessing for everything you could do because, because the act of blessing invited God into your moment and invited God into your life and welled up within you a feeling of gratitude, but not just gratitude, gratitude in the awareness of who God is, what God is doing, and what God wants to do. And so what Mary, Elizabeth is doing here is Elizabeth is walking in this ancient tradition of blessing. She's speaking this blessing over Mary, and her last, so she says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. The last blessing is the one that I find most chilling. Not in a bad way, sorry, that sounded like a horror movie. The last blessing is the one that gets me most. Blessed is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. I want you to think about that. Mary was pregnant. And Mary wasn't married. And in first century Judea, that was a situation ripe for cynicism. And sure, she had the knowledge within her own heart that this child was from the Holy Spirit, that she had seen an angel. But you try going out in any society, whether the first century or whether today, and giving this message, I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit because an angel told me, and see how the reception is. And so, objectively, we look back, and we look at Mary's situation, and we say, that is one of the site of one of the most amazing things God is doing. That is the site of one of the most amazing blessings that God is bringing to the world. Mary was indeed incredibly, incredibly blessed to bear in her body the person of Jesus. We look back at it, and we see it like that. At the time, things were not so clear. At the time, that situation was ripe for people around to point at her and say, you've got to be kidding yourself. At the time, the situation was ripe for Mary to give in to the cynicism and think that maybe she was crazy to begin with. Right? At the time, surrounded by people who don't believe her, put in a situation that is incredibly difficult for anyone, and probably she's only 13 years old at this time, at the time, at the time, Mary did not have necessarily rejoice when she got this news. In fact, the her song of joy doesn't come until after Elizabeth's blessing, which leads us to believe that maybe when Mary heard this, it didn't, it didn't initially sound like good news to begin with. And what Mary Elizabeth said is this, blessed are you, blessed is she, who believes that the Lord will fulfill what he promised. Blessed are you if you believe God's going to do what he said. 
Blessed are you if you believe that God's actually going to do good things. Blessed are you if you believe God is who he says he is. Blessed are you if you do not give in to the despair and instead you choose this crazy thing that Christians call hope. You know what hope is? Hope is daring to believe that God told the truth. Hope is daring to believe that God is actually going to do what God says he will do. Hope is daring to believe that in the midst of a world that looks dark, light actually wins in the end. In the midst of a world going to hell in a handbasket, God actually wins in the end. Hope is daring to believe God will keep the promises God made. And I want to tell you, that is just as unpopular today as it was 2,000 years ago. If, I'm if you think I'm kidding, if you think I'm kidding, think through your life honestly. How many times are you socially rewarded for the depth of your cynicism? Right? And how many times do people look at you like Don Quixote? If you dare to voice a word of hope, we call cynicism realism, we call hope foolish. And the problem with that is, from a point of view of faith, that is actually wrong. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's not just a difference of the personality types and the way we see the world. It's actually wrong. From the point of view of faith, cynicism tells you a lie. And the lie it tells you is this. Nothing's ever going to get better. Nothing's ever going to be okay. Everything's going to be just the way it is now. And the more you think something's going to get better, the more you're going to be disappointed. Cynicism cloaks itself in realism, but fundamentally it tells you the lie that God lied to you when he told you what he wanted to do. And because we cloak it in realism and we give it the level of social prestige that we do, people go through their lives not actually believing that God's going to do what he said he would do, thinking that they are just acting like mature adults, which is why the Christmas story hits us this morning because the Christmas story comes and the Christmas story says, no, blessed is she who believes that the Lord is going to do what he said. Blessed is she who believes that the Lord is going to fulfill his promises. And I'll tell you what, in the function of blessing that we see in Judaism that carried forward into Christianity, the function of blessing, remember, was to increase God's presence in the world, to actually invite God into that moment. And so that moment when Elizabeth is speaking this blessing to Mary, the point of the blessing was to, uh, was to create an awareness within Mary that hope was not a stupid option, right? The point of that blessing was to create an awareness within Mary that she wasn't crazy, that God really was going to show up, that God really was going to do what he said he would do. What we see with cynicism is that it builds bars on our hearts so that even if God does show up, we tend not to recognize him. What blessing does is blessing because it recognizes what God does, it recognizes what who God is, and it believes God, blessing begins to tear those bars away. And so Elizabeth's word of blessing, of seeing and acknowledging what God had done in Mary's life, Elizabeth's words tore those bars off of Mary's heart so that she started to believe that maybe she wasn't crazy. And I want to tell you, that was probably not even easy, even for the rest of her life. 
Because let's think about what happened next. She had a baby. There was nothing particularly special about the baby. The baby grew up. The baby became a teacher. The baby got crucified. For most of Mary's life, there were people who kept laughing at her. For most of Mary's life, there would have been people who said, you are still crazy. You're holding on to that weird dream you had. You are still not seeing life as it actually is. What you need to hear this morning, friends, is that all those people were wrong. All those people were wrong. I know cynicism sometimes looks like the more attractive option because it feels safe. But the danger of it is it actually blocks you out from the work of God because the work of God is not always going to be apparent to people who refuse to hope. The work of God is not always going to be apparent for people who refuse to believe that God is who he says he is and doing what he says he's going to do. And I want to tell you, this gets very, very up close and personal in our personal lives and at our church level and at everything we do. Because we can tell ourselves we are playing it safe when fundamentally what we are doing is creating a massive act of distrust against God instead of daring to hope, instead of choosing to hope, instead of believing the radical notion that maybe God is who he says he is and God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Now, last week I gave you homework. You have more homework this week. Get used to it. You're going to have lots of homework. Just wait till we get to Christmas. Your homework this week is I want you to go through this week with an eye toward blessing. And there's two halves to this, to this homework. The first thing that you're going to do, if you're really going to get into this idea of blessing, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to start noticing the good things. And this is hard, especially if you have an eye that has been blinded by cynicism your entire adult life. You have to start noticing the good things. Faithful Jewish people will wake up before they bite into an apple. They will say, blessed is the Lord our God who has brought forth fruit from the earth. Before they walk out, they will say, blessed is the Lord our God who has made the sun shine upon us. I'm going to stop because I'm... I'm going to start just making things up, and some of you are going to go home and Google and find out that these are not the right words to the blessing. But the point is that everything they do, wherever they go, they see, they notice, and they are aware that that came from God. And that awareness that that came from God then leads them to bless God and leads them to invite God into that moment. And the blessing of inviting God into that moment then begins to create within them the hope that tears away the cynicism that is not at most of our hearts for most of our adult life. And so the first, first thing you have to do is you have to notice. You have to pay attention. And um, depending on your phase of life, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult sometimes. I, go, I make a fast 180 from absolutely feeling like I want to kill my children to feeling like I want to have 10 more. And it's like right next to each other because they are the sweetest people and then they're the most infuriating people. And actually, as I was writing the sermon, I realized how hard this was. And I had to stop as we were sitting in front of the Christmas tree last night. And I just said, blessed are you, Lord our God. Blessed are you, Lord our God. And it reminded me that all the problems I have are good problems. <laughs> because having two rambunctious toddlers is a good problem. Right? 
It's a good problem. And the more you do that, the more you begin to notice the things in your life that are good problems, the things in your life that are from God, and the more you begin to invite the Lord into your daily awareness. So there is, a, there is both a, an active and a contemplative way of doing this. So an active way of doing this, you use the language from the Psalms, blessed are you, Lord our God. Uh, blessed is the name of the Lord. Um, you can even speak blessings, bless this child, bless this family, bless this house. You can use a lot of the language from the Psalms in helping you speak those blessings, especially if you're a more verbal person. There's also a contemplative way to do this, where you just see, you realize, and then you just imagine the grace of God going around the situation and covering this person like a blanket, like a mantle. And you just picture the blessing of God coming down and covering this person or this thing or whatever it is you're playing your blessing over. But you do something. You don't just notice and walk by, right? The, the practice of blessing is you do something. You notice. You bless. And then doing that a hundred times a day, God shows up in your heart. And God shows up in your life. And all of a sudden, you might find yourself as a person daring to hope and daring to believe that God is doing what he says he is doing, and all of a sudden, you might find yourself actually experiencing God doing something because you notice it, because you see it, because you're aware of it. That's the power of blessing. That's your homework for this week. That's what we're going to invite you to do. We're going to invite you to be Elizabeth. We're going to invite you to be Elizabeth walking through your week, and maybe you get to speak this word of blessing over someone who does not see the blessing in their life. Maybe you speak it over yourself. Maybe you speak it just for the good things in your life. But this week, you are challenged to bless. So, there's one more part of this story that I can't ignore. Because the night before the other time that God did something really, really big. Jesus so, sat with 12 of his friends. And he took bread. And he said the blessing over it. And because they were all faithful Jewish people, it would have been the blessing that he said every single time he ate bread, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us bread from the earth. But then he did something different. He broke the bread he gave it to his disciples, and then he said this, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. You see, the Jewish practice of blessing was ingrained within Jesus, was ingrained with his, his disciples, but what happened in Christianity is it took on a whole new level, because all of a sudden, Jesus wasn't just saying, this bread reminds me of you, Jesus was saying, you know, when you eat this bread, I am here among you. And he took the cup and he said, the traditional blessing, blessed are you, Lord our God, king of the universe, who's given us the fruit of the vine. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, and whenever you do it, remember me. And so within Christianity, the idea of blessing, remembering God in our normal, everyday life, went to a whole new level. Because within Christianity, all of a sudden, people came to the awareness that God could give us grace through normal, humble things that we would never otherwise recognize. 
And a cynic looks back and he says, that's a morning snack. That's bread, that's grape juice. You've got your carbs for the day. <laughs> but a person of faith looks at this and said, this is what grace tastes like. And a person of faith recognizes that in the bread, in the juice, in the water, in the worship, in the so many normal things, God actually shows up. And recognizing that God actually shows up then frees us to become a part of what God is doing in the world. The greatest temptation you will face on this lifetime is to, is to not believe God, right? The greatest temptation you will face in this lifetime is to think that you were foolish for ever thinking God could do what he said he would do. And every time you come back to worship and every time you come back to the table and every time you encounter God again, he challenges you on that. And he says, no, this is my grace. This is me. This is my presence. I am with you. I am changing you. I am with you always. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, you have given us so, so very much. And we have turned away from you in so many ways. You have offered yourself to us, and we have been too distracted to receive what you offer. You poured yourself out for us, and we have refused the gift. And so God, come, soften our hearts, open our hearts. Bring us into your presence, bring us into your kingdom, bring us into your love and your life. Come, Holy Spirit, we are yours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.